Welcome to A Healthy Exchange, brought to you by Rural Health Pro's Grow, Connect, Thrive, Be Inspired initiative, which aims to help enhance the capability and well-being of the New South Wales health workforce, particularly in rural and remote areas. Before we start, we acknowledge the traditional custodians on the lands of which we work and live. We pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Dr Natalie Birch is a highly qualified, respected and awarded doctor who currently lives in Tasmania. She is passionate about her community, music, education and hiking. And it's this love for multi-day hikes that she says has been transformative for her well-being. Having originally studied and practised in Queensland, Dr Birch and her husband decided to move to Tasmania 20 years ago. She joined Oka Medical Centre in Scottsdale and is now Scottsdale's longest serving practitioner. Dr Birch is about to lead a six-day walk on the overland track with the Tasmanian Walking Company for doctors who feel tired and burned out. She says, on this journey, we can walk together, come back into focus, reintegrate those fragmented parts and pause for a while. Dr. Natalie Birch, welcome. You're a highly accomplished and decorated medical doctor. Can you tell us what has kept you in the field for so long, what you find satisfying and what have been the challenges of your job? I think there's been two main factors to my staying in the field as long as I have. I think one is being part of a team with people who have your back. I sort of joke I've been trying to leave for years, but I've always had someone really caring at my back, someone who's watching out and someone who's kind of looking carefully at how I'm going and tells me to take time off when I need it. So I think that makes the biggest difference. No matter how rough things get, if your team around you is good, you tend to be able to stay longer. I think the transition away from ownership of the practice was rough, but I had a practice manager and I had uh, practice nurses and colleagues and we all seemed to sort of just look after each other, have our backs, notice when everybody's flagging. Thank God we both sort of tended to fall over at different times but that's one of the main things that that made me stay as long as I did. I think the other main one was changing some aspect of my work periodically. When I was younger, I used to just move all the time. <laughs> you get bored, so you'd move somewhere else. I couldn't do that. So um, just doing something like learning ultrasound, I've done other little jobs on the side like um, family planning. I've been a medical educator for Akram and RACGP. Uh, VTS, that sort of stuff. So just taking on different aspects of medicine just to keep the variety up, my focus, you know, rekindling my enthusiasm and energy and stuff like that. And that's sort of my next uh, exciting step is is Dr. Wellbeing and Burnout. I guess the other thing I said too, but there's three, the patients in the area are lovely. You know, there's a mutual relationship. Uh, So sometimes when it's rougher, a patient will come along and, you know, give me flowers or something nice or just say, oh, we really missed you while you were away. So that sort of thing really is very special and you only get that if you've established a long-term relationship. Often rural doctors experience less anonymity within their community, leading to the feeling of always being on. How do you manage that? I didn't live in the middle of town. I live out a little bit, so that helps. I still go shopping and I you know, still wear my Ugg boots to the shopping centre and things like that. 
I think patients are more respectful than that in rural areas usually. I only had a couple of inappropriate questions and, you know, just dealt with them. But by and large, people are respectful. I've never been in a single doctor practice. I actually don't know how healthy that is. I think it's amazing that people can do that, but I've always been in a group practice. So I guess I'm not on when I'm at home and I'm not on with my colleagues and in the tea room, you know, you can just relax and and let fly. Uh, So that period of time is really important. When we got a new building, one of the things we insisted on was a very good meeting space um, so that we could just debrief and feel like we can just be people again. So I think that it's not probably as bad as people make out. Um, Boundaries with people. I had a really good teacher. I was in a tiny little country town when I was a registrar. My boss also delivered my baby and was my friend. So he would go from doing a full checkup, top to toe, everything, then he'd step out the door and I'd be his registrar and then we'd go to his place for dinner and I'd be his friend and he showed me how to do that seamlessly. So I learnt from someone who was really good at it. There's no particular thing you do, it's just that you're thinking differently about the person in front of you at that particular time. You've got a strong sense of team and mentorship Do you think this is why you've gravitated towards teaching and medical education throughout your career? I don't know where that came from. I I think when I started in med school, it's just what you did. Being a doctor was also being a mentor and being a teacher. And I mean, everybody just taught everybody. It it was just part of the whole system. and, And that's been the case for hundreds of years. I've always been a little bit surprised when people don't teach because it's just, uh, an aspect that I thought was integral. But I also love it and I love, I think what I love is just finding finding the barrier, finding the, the piece of the puzzle that's missing and then once you sort of provide that perspective or that little piece of information that might have been missing, watching someone sort of just come alive and, and blossom. A little bit like with patients but I think there's an added dimension of giving back when you do it with your colleagues. Uh, so, yeah, probably less about the team that I found myself in and more about what I brought to that team, I guess. Natalie, you've been practising medicine for over two decades now. Do you feel the medical landscape has changed in that time? I think it has and it hasn't. Some things never change. We're still interacting with patients very similar to hundreds of years ago. Um, People are people and relationships are the same. But I guess patients are probably much better informed, uh, which I see as a good thing. They can be more empowered, which is a good thing. Um, both of these are double-edged swords, though. And unfortunately, the well, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the sort of blind respect, just because you're a doctor, you get respect, has gone or reduced. And that combination, I think, can be hard for some people when they feel less respected and they feel more burdened with more knowledge that they have to provide and higher standards and sometimes those expectations actually exceed reasonable expectations. So I I think patients themselves, people are the same, but the expectations of the society to the doctors has changed. It's a lot more protocol-driven, which is safer, but it also means to say there's an awful lot more that doctors need to know and they're very much being held to account more, which is good, but it's also more burdensome. But I also think that COVID has made everybody stressed and traumatised and then you've got a traumatised doctor talking to a traumatised patient. That can make things quite tricky. So you've used the term stressed, traumatised, and we've also heard the term burnout, particularly following the COVID pandemic. 
Can you tell us about your experience and how hiking has helped your well-being? Yeah, I had burnt out. Well, that's probably my second burnout. And I think the trouble with having a really good team around you is they don't let you leave. Sometimes you're better off just falling over and, you know, having to quit for a while. And that might have been a better thing back then. But I had such a good team behind me that they kept propping me up. So I was was limping along for years and years. And during the pandemic, um, I was in a bad way. And I went, I have my best friend as my violin teacher. And I think one day, you know, probably spent the uh, the lesson crying. And so she took me on a, a little bit of a walk and looked after me, which was amazing. And then that sort of grew into bigger and bigger walks. That was very interesting because at first there was a whole lot of stuff I had to get over. I remember walking along thinking I'm breathing too hard and she's going to be bored because I'm walking too slowly and I'm holding her up and it's very annoying. And a lot of that sort of horrible negative self-talk and criticism comes out when you're walking because there's not a lot to distract you. When I first started walking, it was actually really difficult to get over all of that weird self-talk that happens. And gradually as that got put down, I could pay attention to the environment and, you know, start being healed by it. You call hiking transformative. Can you explain what you mean by that? What it did for me is take me from that sort of space of overwhelm, of of the negative self-talk, of my body being a bit of an enemy and everything's hard. There's lots of burdens, lots of expectations and, and just things I was carrying along. It wasn't a it wasn't a sudden transformation. It it really took a lot of time and work to try and sort of you know get these things that I was doing to myself uh, under control or being put down. So I guess I was transformed from someone who was feeling really burdened by life and by my thoughts and, you know, negative stuff about myself to being able to look at that and going, you know, that's not necessary. My body is actually my friend and it's carrying me a long way now. My thoughts are something I can manage and I can I have a bit of control over and just being allowed to just put a lot of that stuff down. It's quite hard, particularly for doctors who are, perfectionistic and feel that they have to be on top of everything and right all the time and the best at everything. Also, doctors live in their heads a little bit and so trying to get out of my head and just be in the environment, just let my body walk and let my brain stop thinking. Transformation isn't something that just happens. I think people say, I had this major epiphany. Those sorts of things tend to only happen at the very end of a very long process of of change of your thinking and change of your attitude and gaining support. I think the other thing that was transformative, which maybe is relevant to other other GPs particularly, is asking for help and accepting that. So lots of people asked to help me, but it took a long time to be able to say, yes, I do need help and I'd love to go for this walk and I'm going to try not to feel like such a burden to you. It's a bit of a stigma, isn't it, doctors asking for help? What are your thoughts on how this mindset needs to change? It's very complicated. (laughs) I don't think it helps that um, a lot of us, you know, it doesn't matter what APRA says, that if you put rules around mandatory reporting of doctors and mental health, we're going to be afraid to speak up. And they can say all they like that it doesn't happen like that. But regardless, that's the fear and that's not going to go away. So you're going to have to get APRA under control first. But also I think anxiety and um, burnout are getting higher because we are actually selecting for doctors when they're entering medical school 
who are much higher risk of anxiety and burnout. I've actually seen that in the students coming through that significantly higher levels of anxiety and burnout. And I think, you know, when I got into medical school, I just had to have a a high score on my tests and personality had to happen later, which around 18 and 19 is not unreasonable. But now they do these situational judgment tests and you've got to be a nice person and you've got to care deeply and you've got to communicate and you've got to be really smart. And if you add those all up, that's anxiety pretty much. Um, So I think we have to be a bit more careful about that. And if we're going to select for people who are prone to anxiety, we're going to have to look after them better in medical school. We're also going to have to start being a little bit more realistic about um, what a particularly GP can actually achieve and what's on their plate. If you've read the Australian, you know, doctor magazines, we're having a bit of a whinge at the moment about the GP is well-placed and the GP can look after this. And pretty much anything that is too difficult for any other discipline is now a GP problem. So there has to be limits to what is expected of, of GPs and all doctors. And from the individual point of view, this is changing already, but doctors connecting and being able to say, I made a mistake and I'm not perfect and, yep, I did that too. This is already happening. There's, there's movement. Uh, it just needs to continue. A Healthy Exchange podcast is brought to you by Rural Health Pro with the support of the New South Wales Ministry of Health. If you care about keeping rural Australia healthy, then Rural Health Pro is your community. The Rural Health Pro platform connects health professionals with colleagues, scholarships, training and career opportunities to help them thrive. It's free and easy to join. Visit ruralhealthpro.org today. Now, speaking of walking, you're about to lead your first walk for doctors with the Tasmanian Walking Company, which I believe sold out really quickly. Can you tell us how this all came about? The exact chain of events is, I don't know, these things just seem to happen organically. I, I, I call it throwing out seeds and seeing what grows. So I did a walk with Tasmanian Walking Company in July, a couple of years ago with two doctor friends of mine. Uh, turns out there was only four people on that trip and the fourth person was a doctor as well. <laughs> so, so there's four of us and three guides. So it was amazing. So I had that experience with the TWC and it was just a really special trip. And I came across um, the person who's walking with me, Sheena Police, uh, does walks for women. And so she's got expertise in this area. Oh, because I went to TWC and said, I think this is a good idea. And they said, we've already worked with Sheena and why don't you two get together, which is what we did. But I guess um, what I like to do is bring all of the things I like together um, and put them into one place. So bringing music in, bringing walking in, bringing doctors together. And I really focusing only on doctors because that's the space I know. So I think it sold out partly because I, I, I put it out to the people I know because I've been around for a long time. I'm well connected. And so I put it out to my friends and said, come for a walk with me. So that was partly why there's just this massive need for things that will help us navigate this this tricky career. So that's sort of how it came about, I think. I have a vision of doctors trekking in the wilderness by day and sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya by night. Can you tell us about the trek and how the doctors benefit? Whenever I produce a new education program, I start with what gives me the So any education program, what annoys me, what would put me off? And what would put me off is a bunch of doctors sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya. 
there's a lot of well-being things out there and good on them if that's your thing and that makes you feel good I'm not trying to put anyone else's thing down I only know what would work for me I need something that is relaxing and nurturing and good for you and allows your brain to stop for a little while that is science-based and the good thing about meditation and mindfulness and management of thoughts etc it's all very science-based there's a lot of evidence there's a lot of research that gives proof to the fact that things like mindfulness actually do work so I wanted to bring the more evidence-based things into what we need Uh, there's no doubt that singing kumbaya is very good for you but we're not going to buy it because we're just too hard-headed and we're too science-based how it's going to work is we're going to have things like Um, education on your identity and your roles and how you navigate life, going to have some things on de-stressing and helping your thoughts ease up, mindfulness and connecting back to your body and connecting back to nature and things like that. And nothing too kind of challenging in terms of some of these things are a little bit inaccessible to a science-based person. Now, we've all heard the term work-life balance. Is that theory a myth? I have a bit of a problem with the idea of balance because if you think of a seesaw, uh, once you're trying to raise one part of the seesaw, you will decrease the other. It also kind of implies there's two things in balance, you know, across a pivot point. And just to be a little bit feminist for a bit, you know, most women will have three, four, five things that they're trying to balance. Uh, And if you've got kids, that's even more but even people without children have parents and partners and other family members in their community. So I think if you expect someone to balance three, four, five things, then they're always going to fail. It's actually another burden. And I remember thinking, I feel like I'm a bad doctor, mother, wife, community member, I'm just bad at everything because none of them get 100% of my attention when they they all want 100% of my attention. If that works for you, great, but that didn't work for me because I just couldn't ever balance them. So I think what we need to do, what I need to do, is say I have one life and all of those parts have to be happening at the same time. So I haven't got a problem with showing patients my kid pictures and them showing me their kid pictures and their dog my life, without being over-personal or over-sharing, because that's harmful, all of my parts of life happen concurrently. And that works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. Now, Natalie, you were the lead at Oka Medical Centre, Scottsdale, and you've mentioned before your experience and the importance of being part of a supportive team. How do you actively mentor staff to support their wellbeing? What I mostly did was pay attention and look at who's flagging you know, I remember listening to one of the receptions being yelled at, like, in fact, I could only hear her side and she's clearly backtracking and defending and getting distressed. And so just noticing that happening and just bringing a Rebecca and a cup of coffee, just noticing, seeing what's going on. One of the beauties of my role at the moment is I don't have a patient load. So I just kind of float around and answer questions and I can see the big picture and see that this doctor is now an hour and a half behind and this doctor's probably on time and maybe they could help and that receptionist under the pump, and that person maybe could help. So I think paying attention. And the other thing I think is just the ability to actually listen. I just think we are so bad at listening. (laughs) All we have to do is just 
be quiet for a minute and see what's going on and let people unload and see what they need. So I think that's how I've done it. I don't really see myself as a manager. In fact, that's I'm not very good at managing skills, but I can listen and I can notice and I can sort of look at the, the big picture, the overarching sort of timeline, which I think makes it useful. So you've mentioned listening. How do you find the time to actively listen in a busy medical environment? Time's an interesting concept, isn't it? I think the first thing is that, you know, it's not a time problem, it's a, an attention problem because, it, you know, it, how, how long does it take to make someone feel listened to? And the answer is probably about three seconds. It's all about what you bring to that. So, you know, this idea that we don't have time to listen is, is a bit untrue. We don't have the mental space and the cognitive capacity to listen is the problem because we're so constantly bombarded and overloaded. So I do that by just you're the only person. I may only have five minutes, but you're the only person I'm listening to right now and trying to create a, a space where I can do that um, and trying to create a mindset where I can do that. I also think that we feel a little bit more victim to the system than we really are. We are pressured to see a patient in five to ten minutes, but we don't have to do that. Our income will go down, but we're generally not starving to death. So we could choose less time and we could choose to work differently and we could choose to use other health professionals for some of the time-consuming things. The thing that helped me with this idea is that it was getting pretty bad in Scottsdale. We had no doctors, et cetera. And I thought, what if I cloned myself? Maybe that would help. And I thought, no, two is not enough. And I got to the idea that if you made five of me and I worked 24 hours a day, it still would not be enough. There is nothing I can do, even with cloning, to make it enough. So all I can actually really do is just do the thing that's in front of me. I can't do anything else. I can try and burn out and do a bad job for everybody, or I can just do this thing in front of me and I know there's 20 people who still need me but I can't help that. I can't do anything about it. It helped a bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a work in progress then. <laughs> Definitely. Switching gears, I'd like to go back to the walks if I may. We've been talking about the walk for doctors but I can't help but wonder if you think any health professional could benefit from getting involved in this type of activity or just spending time in nature. Oh, absolutely. All people, all human beings, well studied, all people benefit from being in nature. There was a study with uh, one of the uh, lovely old gardeners in Tasmania, Peter Kundal, who actually did some research. Just all he did was put people's hands in the earth and he demonstrably improved their depression. They just gardened. And we know that the environment's good for you. And with the caring professions, probably even more profound. I focused on doctors because that's who I know. And I think there's a place for a multidisciplinary walk. I think that would be amazing. But one of the things that is just most important, at least initially, particularly when you're traumatised, is safety. So the problem with me going to, say, a retreat somewhere is that some of the stuff I want to talk about is stuff you can't talk about or would gross someone out. <laughs> or, you know, some of the, I don't know if you've actually been to dinner with a bunch of nurses or doctors, but it can get kind of disgusting because we just, we need to debrief and we are not always, you know, people heard us, they wouldn't think we we're being very respectful. But the point behind that is just being able to get some of this stuff off your chest. It's not disrespectful, it's just unloading. So we need a safe space with other doctors who know that if I say something terrible, if I want to talk about a disgusting thing, it's not going to upset or bother anyone and they're not going to go, go and say, guess what, that's this doctor there who said this thing. 
So yes, yes, of course, but I'm going to focus on doctors because I understand as, you know, as much as anyone can else understand another person, I understand how they think and what's important to them. And I can create, I think, I hope I can create a safe place for them just to do what they need to do. I think at some point we could do a multidisciplinary walk, but it would be different, a different reason. It'd be less about burnout and more about getting us all in the same room and talking to each other. And that would be really powerful. And finally, Natalie, what would be your advice for medical centres wanting to create a wellbeing plan for their team? Yeah, I think my most important advice would be is, is to listen, ask the people what is wellbeing, what it means to them, ask, you know, what is meaningful to you and creating an environment that values everybody. I think that it'd be nice to insert a little grab from Simon Sinek who actually answered this question in one minute and 16 seconds. (laughs) He basically said that if you want to look after patients, if your focus is patient wellbeing, which it all, everybody seems to think that the patients are the most important people and they kind of are, what you need to do is look after the people who are looking after the patients because if you look after them, they will want to, and we do, look after the patients you don't as a corporate you don't need to focus on them if you take care of the people looking after them they will do their job if you put them under pressure and expect more and more of them and keep talking to them about earning more money and kpis and things like that they're going to focus on that rather than looking after the patients and if you let them look after themselves they will also be able to look after their patients Well, Dr. Natalie Birch, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. But before I let you go, for any of our listeners who might want to jump on board one of these walks, are there any coming up in the near future? Yeah, so when we were booked out fairly quickly, uh, we decided to put another one in May. So May 2024, that's on the Overland. Then we thought we might put a shorter one in for people who don't have that sort of time. And there's one in Bruni Island uh, in February. So they're open now. And where can people go to find out more information? So Tasmanian Walking Company are taking the bookings and if those dates don't suit people or they've got a group that want just to go with themselves and us, uh, we're really open to other dates and other ideas. So Tasmanian Walking Company website uh, is probably the best place to start. And we'll be sure to include a link in the show notes. Well, Dr Birch, thank you again for joining us on A Healthy Exchange. Thank you. It's been excellent being here. Thanks for that. A Healthy Exchange is produced by Rural Health Pro, funded by New South Wales Health. For more information, visit our website at ruralhealthpro.org forward slash s forward slash New South Wales Health. That's ruralhealthpro.org forward slash s forward slash New South Wales Health. In the meantime, please like, follow and share. Thanks for listening. The information provided in this podcast is of a general educational nature only. The views expressed are that of the presenters and not of New South Wales Health or Rural Health Pro.